coming up this week? Off screen. The Dark Universe rises with the mummy. Sam Worthington takes us to the shack. Teresa Palmer's suffering from Berlin Syndrome. Fritz Lang's Destiny is here in Dermutod. Richard Gere is Norman. Woody Harrelson is Wilson. And Rachel Weiss is my cousin Rachel. All those to go on more? Off screen. This is... This is Off Screen. Off Screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. Welcome to Off Screen, I'm Vancouver. And I'm John Coulson. Thanks again for filling in the case, having another week off that slacker. He's lazy. He's lazy, that's what it is. Pure laziness, not at all that he has teacher training to finish or anything like that, but it's pure laziness, pure laziness. 100% lazy. But, uh, so, okay, film reviews, film news, box office top five, loads of fun to be had. There's a new mummy. Um, there's a return of some pirates to the box office top five. There's, there's loads of stuff going on, but let's start with some news. Give me a piece of news. What you got for me? Um, piece of news, Steven Spielberg's upcoming Pentagon Papers drama. Oh, there is that. That was called The Post and has now cleverly changed its title to... The papers. So every time I'm I'm, every time I say that title, I'm going to be thinking. Have you ever seen that movie? uh, Sorry, married an ex murderer. Uh, with um, with Mike Myers, Wayne. I was going to say yeah. Wayne. <laughs> I like how you call the Weekly World News the paper. <laughs> but yeah, so, so Steven Spielberg's making uh, a Pentagon Papers movie. So you know how the uh, the Pentagon Papers got leaked and told everyone the truth about the Vietnam War, and yeah, all star cast. Spielberg's oh, cool. making it. So Tom Hanks is the lead. Oh great! Yeah, yeah you know, I'm in. Yeah, you're in, aren't you? <laughs> but also, Ms. Meryl Streep. Oh, you, you know that that hack that that loser as 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 the U.S. president calls currently calls her. Yeah, yeah. Her. Um, so yes, the the U.S. president's favorite actress. Um, there's also going to be uh, Carrie Coon from uh, Gone Girl, who played Ben Affleck's sister. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also going to be Sarah Paulson, she of every Ryan Murphy series ever. Uh, she's going to be in there. It, it, it's it's going to be interesting. It, it really is. There's, there's, there's a lot going for it. I'm looking forward to it. And that's coming out. Uh, that's going to be out the very end of the year on limited release. And then it's going to get a wide release at the beginning of January. So it's almost like they're timing it for. You're looking at me blankly. I mean, the Oscars and the award season. And, yeah, no, I was, yeah. Wait, I was waiting for you to finish your sentence. So. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> well, I did the dot dot dot. <laughs> I, I nearly just shouted movie. <laughs> dot 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 movie, because we do that so often. All right, okay, we've got two two films we want to get away in this block. Okay. And they're both uh, they're both uh, one-name guy movies. So oh, uh, One of them's named after one of our favourite people. As well. <laughs> it is. So, Norman. Um, <laughs> right, so, so, Norman, which stars uh, Richard Gere as... Uh, as uh, wait, so the official title is Norman. Norman, the moderate rise and tragic fall of a New York fixer. We'll just stick with Norman. Stick with Norman, yeah. And uh, do you know what? If you were trying to describe the tone of the film, you could say, it's a bit Normandy. Ah! <laughs> right, so Richard Gere is Norman. Okay. Right, Norman Oppenheimer, he is a mi- uh, elder middle-aged Jewish man living in New York. He is, as the title suggests, a fixer. Okay. And basically, he is a struggling wheeler dealer. A bit of a schlub. Richard Gere actually describes him as a schlub in interviews. It's a great word. It is, isn't it? And basically, he's just trying to try basically trying to get a prominent position in in the hearts of the new york business community it's not going so well for him he hounds people he tries to make deals it never quite works out and then one day he befriends a low-level israeli politician who happens to be visiting new york and charmed him by buying him an overpriced pair of shoes flash forward three years 
that low-level Israeli politician is now the Prime Minister, and he's visiting New York again. And, of course, he reconnects with his old friend Norman Oppenheimer, and Norman soon finds himself this sort of unwitting centre of this massive scandal involving government corruption and shady business dealings. Right, we have a clip. It's like nothing you've ever seen Richard Gere do before. Okay. It, it's like a, a Woody Allen does Ari Gold, if you can imagine such a thing. Um we have a clip. This is Richard Gere hounding Dan Stevens in the park. So Dan Stevens is just, you know, having a jog in the park. This is Richard Gere hounding him about a deal. A very high official, I, I can't mention his name right now, maybe Northrop, to sell his country's tax receivables to a third party. 80 cents on the dollar. Excuse me, I have to leave. This is unacceptable. Please. Bill, Bill, no, I, I, I wouldn't be doing this if, it, if I didn't think it was worth Joe's time. No, don't trust me, trust Philip. Good things come in surprising ways. You never know. You never know, right? I mean, what? Worst comes to worst, he kicks me out the door. No, worst comes to worst, he kicks me out the door. It is my job to keep people like you away. Don't you get that? Yes. So please, respect my position. Stop. Please. So I'll tell my partners that we had a good conversation. And we'll see what happens, okay? So, this is the weird part. In, in, uh, in a lot of the write-ups, for instance, they describe his character as being a quote-unquote court Jew. Oh, wow. And it's... Uh, the funny thing is, you watch the film, it's got a really specific tone. And the, one, the old question I kept asking myself all the way through is, what's the Yiddish for joie de vivre? Um, because it has a very much... As you can tell from the clip, it has a sort of weird, bouncy energy to it. Yeah. And yet, at the same time... It gets really downbeat and really somber and almost heartbreaking at times. And yet, as well, Richard Gere has, in his entire long career, never been as good as he is in this film. Oh, sweet. I I like Richard Gere. I think he's a perfectly likable actor, you know. Um, Red Corner, I think, was uh, one of his most enjoyable films for me, uh, because I love a good 90s adult thriller. And uh, this is genuinely the best thing I've ever seen him do. And it's quirky and it's a little bit it's charming and it's a little bit suspenseful and it is a dialogue driven comedy steve buscemi turns up in it for instance always, good. Uh, always a good thing michael sheen turns up as the world's least likely jew and okay. um, yeah yeah tony blair turns up as imagine that yeah that's weird. i know yeah, the bar owner from Tron Legacy. <laughs> he yeah. really will always be. Tony <laughs> He'll always be Tony Blair. What his entire career? Wasn't he the bar guy in Passengers as well? Yes, he was the bar guy. But he, so he's basically able to play Tony Blair and bar bartenders. <laughs> you say bar guy then? <laughs> but uh, no, terrific film. Uh, Joseph Cedars uh, written and directed this. Wasn't terribly familiar with his work beforehand. Um, I've not really had the chance to look at it. I think he's done a terrific job here. I think the screenplay is really sharp, really incisive. I think the um, the fun of the of the the direction of it is that it has this indie art house dramedy sort of a vibe going for it, and yet it's all dressed up in this sort of prestige picture kind of trapping it looks like something that should be an Oscar film. Cool. And that's kind of helped by the fact that Richard Gere is giving you an Oscar-worthy performance. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Richard Gere's done, in the last two or three years, he's done a few of these projects. Now he's going for a bit of an indie upswing at the moment. He did things like Arbitrage, and he, he played 
They played a homeless guy and a rich guy back to back, and they were released two weeks apart. Oh. And we all kept getting them confused, and the joke amongst us critics was, no, this is the one where he's the poor guy, next week's the one where he's the rich guy. And, yeah, but this is this is, this is is the pinnacle. He's done this really well. Oh, so before we move on to the next one man's name indie dramedy, yes. let's plug the podcast. Okay. Okay, you download the podcast. I do. Did you use the iTunes podcast? Every app? time. So it's Apple Podcasts now. Yeah, it is. It's Apple now. Apple Podcasts. Just, just podcasts. Well, you can get the extended versions of this show uh, uh, on iTunes, on Deezer, on what am I Acast. Oh yeah, bad Acast. <laughs> by the way, so we did the digital bling experiment on your insistence. Yeah, right. and I haven't watched. You it. haven't watched it. Well, thanks for that, John. That was really worth my time. So we did a dry run two weeks ago on our last show, and we put the trailers and the movie posters in, things like that. And and it was, you know, what it worked pretty well. I thought, okay, if you can do the prep time in advance, then this could be quite a seamless process. So this week, we are going to do a a, a grand full experiment with it all right so this week acast users can enjoy proper digital bling that we have thought about and calculated in advance <laughs> actively tried and not actively just tried for and with all the links the relevant articles on the site etc they're all going to be on there and so yeah enjoy that if you're an acast subscriber if not just go on the apple podcast go on and tune in go on the deezer anything <laughs> I know, I know we're on we're on tuning, I know that, because my Alexa plays it. Ah. But, uh, Alexa, Echo Dot, sorry. Yeah, I really wanted it to, like, speak up in the background there. Just <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not US daytime TV. Oh, okay. But, okay, so let's talk about Wilson then, uh, which is, uh, this is based on the graphic novel of the same name, and stars Mr. Woody Harrelson. <gasps> yes, brace yourself, because you're going to love the sound of it. You're going to race out and see this film, by the way. Right now. As soon as you're done here, you're going to run out and see see if you can catch a midnight screen. You will. All right, so the idea is Woody Harrelson is an elder, middle-aged man (laughs) named Wilson... Go figure, because this seems to be a theme this week. Um, his father passes away. His elder, elder father passes away, terminal terminal illness. And uh, he decides to reconnect with a an, his, his ex-wife, Fra, who he hasn't seen in nearly two decades. His ex-wife left him whilst pregnant with his child. The story is that she left him, had an abortion, and then moved to the other side of the country. It turns out she's now back, and he seeks her out. He finds her. She's played by Laura Dern. She's a sort of rock star styled waitress in a, in a sort of you know, low-rent family eatery and she tells him actually she never got that abortion and uh, the child's very much alive and uh, adopted and living somewhere nearby. Wilson of course then goes and tracks her down only to discover she is a sort of gothy plus-size teenage girl with all of his neuroses. Right. right. He is the ultimate curmudgeon, a man with no filter whatsoever, and yet insanely lonely, and will talk to just about anyone. Here is an example of roughly how that sort of personality goes in the real world. Oh, chips and joy, guys. When are you done? Wilson, Wilson, I can't, I can't. Oh, no, 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 I got a great surprise for you. Excuse me. Do you think I could get this with the aioli on the side, as I requested? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Let me, uh, let me take that back. And we, we still haven't seen that bruschetta. Uh, I'll get that right oh, away. No, no, no. Listen, I, gotta, I can't, I can't wait anymore. No, I, I got my job. Get your daughter. Isn't she beautiful? Excuse me. We have tickets to Wicked, and we... Hey, f- shut the f- up. Can't you see that this woman is having a profound moment? 
Right. Again, like Norman, this is one of those, like, I can't believe Woody Harrelson's got this in the tank. Right. First of all, wow, this is what we've been building to since Zombieland. Remember when Woody Harrelson came out of nowhere with Zombieland? Like, wow, okay, brilliant. Do more of this. They were good times. They were good times. Well, this is it. This is him doing, effectively, a Bill Murray movie. All right, brilliant. You know those dramedies that Bill Murray's been doing for 20 years that no one quite gets? (laughs) This is Woody Harrelson doing one, and it's actually good, and it's actually funny. In fact, it's a lot like St. Vincent. If you saw that one with... Uh, you know I did. But with... But, yeah, you'll have to. Um, one with uh, Bill Murray and uh, Melissa McCarthy and Naomi Watts, that one. All right, now I wish we I bonded with. He was a curmudgeon who bonded with a child. Right, same thing here. Woody Harrelson bonding with a teenager, his daughter in this case. Does not ever go where you think it's going to go. It has no coherent A to B. Describing the plot is almost pointless because it just seems to be about, you know what... This guy's just alive. That's the plot. There's just a situation. Watch it. Yeah, here's a situation. There's a dude with a pulse and a beating heart, and that's about as close as you're getting to a coherent story. Just some stuff happens to him. And because it's Woody Harrelson, and he sells it so well, and the script is so good, and the direction is so tight, it's actually really, really gripping and hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And oh, it's, it's got like a great support cast. Well, Judy Greer's in there. Say Laura Dern. Uh, uh, who's Larry David's wife from from Curb Your Enthusiasm from Suburgatory? She's in there. Um, I loved the hell out of it. I thought it was great. It's it's something I didn't expect to be as good as it was. I expected quality because of Woody Harrelson, but maybe not quite to this level. It was excellent though. Hmm. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. The on-screen radio show, and we're back and dancing. So it's time to uh, time to get parental. Let's talk to the mummy. Yeah, yeah, nice. I went there. <laughs> right. So, um, right. I mean, did you really think we needed a remake of the mummy? Uh, no. Something that kept you up at night. There was the need for a remake of the mummy. No, but the sword leg lady's in it. So I was like, sword leg lady. Yeah, from Kingsman. Yeah, because yeah, so, no one actually yeah. knows. Sophia Patella's actual That's name. Awesome, yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. So the idea is, this is not just a movie, this is a franchise launcher. Right? Oh, right. You have to get that out of the way instantly. And to be fair to Universal, the film literally does that because the Universal logo pops up, you know the globe with Universal on it, yeah. and then it turns to the other side of the globe, which is meant to look like an eclipse, and it says, Dark Universe over it. And you sit there and you think, is that a new production company? Or And then you remember that it's actually this weird franchise thing. So the idea is there's going to be a Frankenstein one, there's going to be a Wolfman one, yeah. there's going to be all this nonsense to come. Yeah. Right. Mm. Nonsense. That's going to come up. <laughs> That's going to come up in a minute, believe me. Okay, so the idea is it's the plot of The Mummy, again. Only it's set now. Uh, the Brennan Fraser character is now an actual US soldier who happens to have a side hustle in which he raids tombs in Iraq and sells antiquities on the black market. Oh, and his sidekick is Nick from New Girl. So, yeah, because as you do. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, let's <clears throat> say Brennan Fraser character, Tom Cruise in this case, his, his sidekick being uh, Jake Johnston from Drinking Buddies New Girl. Jurassic oh, World. Drinking Buddies, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Right. Um, one day, they raid a tomb. <laughs> they were actually tomb raiders. Uh, based on a map that Tom Cruise has lifted from a casual sexual encounter with the world's perkiest blonde archaeologist, who's okay. played by Annabelle Wallace from the movie Annabelle, because that's how they cast that movie. Right. Anyway, right. Uh, she plays like Cameron Diaz with the sort of tone of Elizabeth the Bicky. 
basically we we need neither actress anymore. We can just use Annabelle Wallace now. All right, right. Um, the idea is he goes in. They find the tomb. It's the mummy from centuries earlier, who's obviously been like a criminal trying to sacrifice to resurrect a god, and she's been locked in a tomb for centuries and centuries and centuries. And Tom Cruise accidentally wakes her up, and she curses Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is then marked to actually be the human sacrifice, so that they can kill him and bring forth the god set and take over the world. Oh, and the mummy in this case is a woman. So, the idea is, this time around, the mummy is a woman, the the target of the mummy is a guy, it's all in the present day, and they've got their own version of S.H.I.E.L.D., as you'll hear in our clip, who's led by Dr. Jekyll. Oh, these are the ones with the hilarious name. Prodigium. Yeah. Right. <laughs> led by Dr. Jekyll, played by Russell Crowe, and he's in this clip, he's going to set up the world for you. Welcome to Prodigium, Mr. Morton. From the latter, Monstrum Bell Prodigium. A warning of monsters. Forgive the state of things, we have very little time to prepare for our guest, and only the information Jennifer provided to go on. In truth, she works for us. It's not an exact science, this business. And the business being evil. Mr. Morton, recognize, contain, examine, destroy. She is by far the most ancient we've ever encountered. Right, quick question for you then. What's the worst Marvel movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, Iron Man 2. Yes, you got it in one. Okay. Why is Iron Man 2 the worst Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? Is it because they've got a bad guy, and instead of doing something with him, they sort of show you him for a minute, let him play with a bird, give him really weird nails, underwrite him, and then expect you to deal with it? Th- that too. Okay. Yeah, that too. It's more, for my money, it's more that they spend most of the film really trying to force the issue of the cinematic universe. All right. Regardless of whether or not it makes sense to the story, it's a case of, here's, here's stuff we need to put in, because we need that for three movies from now. All right, yeah, yeah. Right, welcome to this world. <laughs> right, they learnt nothing from Iron Man 2, they learnt nothing from every pre-Wonder Woman DC movie, and now they're doing the same thing themselves. So what you have is a movie that manages to pull the most cynical move since X-Men Apocalypse stopped dead for ten minutes to give Hugh Jackman a cameo. Oh, it did do that. It really did. And this movie does something very similar for something that has no relevance to this plot whatsoever. And, yes, it involves Russell Crowe. And if you know who he's playing, you'll probably venture a guess as to where that's going. Right. From pretty much the point that that happens, this movie falls to hell. And it falls to hell in the sense that it makes no sense. Its characters do things that they couldn't possibly know to do. Uh, Its ending is open to the extent of just being... Well, it's open and ambiguous to the point of just being phoned in to the point of just being incomplete it's not got an ending it's just got a just put my name on it hand it and it'd be fine um they'll just assume that i put an ending on it they won't read to the end they'll just see my name they'll think i put an ending on it's fine (laughs) right it doesn't make a lick of sense um i didn't even stick around to see if there was a post-credit sequence because one i was in a rush and i had to get from waterloo to soho in 10 minutes anyway um did you sprint uh it was raining and yes i did um but this is the thing, it, I didn't stick around to see the post-credits thing, because even if I wasn't in a rush, I didn't care enough to. I was not, not even annoyed, I was just kind of frustrated and bored more than anything. Um, and what really annoys you more than anything is the first hour of it is really good. 
the first hour of this is actually really solid. Oh, no. You know the setup of the plot of the mummy, which is, you know, you've got to find them, you've got to do the story of the mummy, you've got to resurrect the mummy, you've got to establish what the mummy does and what her goal is. Right, that stuff, this does really well. Right. And the idea of setting it in the present day, etc., really solid. The idea of what they do with the Tom Cruise character to begin with, really solid. The problem is, when the film falls apart, so do the characters. So Tom Cruise's character, who initially is kind of a lovable rogue, yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's kind of like Tom Cruise's character from Night and Day. Same kind of thing. And he does it really well. The problem is, as soon as the film falls apart, they forget about that bit. Oh, right, yeah. And any character development that he should have then falls by the wayside. Annabelle Wallace, same thing. And the less said about Russell Crowe's ridiculous Ray Winston impression, the better. Because, yeah. I mean, it's not often that I can say, you know, James Nesbitt did it better. But now I actually can. I can now genuinely say the words, James Nesbitt has done something better than Russell Crowe. And I don't mean fighting around the world. Um, Right. It's just about capably directed by Alex Kurtzman. Uh, This is only his second film. His first was a relatively low-budget, festival-friendly drama called People Like Us with uh, Chris Pine and Elizabeth Banks. Um, It has three writers on it, one of whom is David Coop. And David Coop is basically screenwriting royalty. So the idea that this film is as ungodly a mess as it is is unfathomable to me. This film is basically sunk under the weight of both the shared universe, largely the shared universe concept as well, you know, to be honest, but also as well the idea of having to placate a Hollywood star with certain revelations and developments that, frankly, rob the film of any gravitas it could have had. You come away from the last hour thinking, good lord, that was terrible. But then you remember that the first hour was actually really, really good. That's annoying. And it's, yeah, it's like it's like having a, it's like sitting and soaking in the world's most perfectly, perfectly temperatured bath and then someone turning an ice-cold hose on you. It's exactly like that, only in IMAX 3D. And by the way, it <laughs> doesn't need to be in 3D. 3D's pointless. doesn't even particularly need to be in IMAX. It probably, you know, stylistically, it probably worked just as well on an iPad screen, if we're honest. Yeah. But uh, so, okay, uh, I've ranted too much. So, so let me do. I'll do a quick review of the building syndrome, and we'll we'll, get, we'll cheer up after that. We'll do the top ten, top five, and stuff. Yeah. Bit of news, bit of news, top five, bit of news review. We'll cheer this thing up. All right, let's but let's talk about uh, an infinitely more cheery movie, Berlin Syndrome. You're gonna love this one. Right. <laughs> so, Teresa Palmer. Do you know Teresa Palmer? She was the love interest in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Then yes, I do. Then yes, you do. Was almost, funnily enough, in uh, Justice League Mortal a few years back when Mad Max director George Miller was going to make a Justice League movie. Oh. Yeah, that, they actually started a film and then it collapsed. Oh. So, there's actually a documentary we made about it. Anyway, so she is an Australian student in, uh, in, in Scunthorpe, as you do, given the title. And I'm kidding, it's set in Berlin. It is. For a second, I was like, what? <laughs> Did you believe me? Yeah. Like, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, no, it is set in Berlin. Okay. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> right. So she is uh, a, 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 you know Australian student sort of backpacking through Berlin, aspiring photographer, you know, a lot of rooftop barbecues, taking shots of sunsets. I'm sure she has an Instagram account. Um, lots of followers, clearly. and um, Probably actually is. Probably it? actually <laughs> is, yeah. And then one day she just hap- just happens to meet you know, a gorgeous, uh, a gorgeous local teacher, uh, 
And uh, <laughs> they have uh, a, a, a torrid night together. The following morning, he nips off to work. He leaves her in bed, as one does. She wakes up and she discovers the door's locked. Hmm. Right, let me play a clip for you the rest of that plot. I couldn't find the key. Did you leave me a key? Yes. Sure. I thought I left it on the table. Nope. I didn't, I didn't think I'd be able to get back in, and then I realised that I couldn't even leave. Hey, you can leave now. I take a shower. Did you lock me in? Yes, sure. But next time, I'll tie it to the bed. Right. Does that in any way creep you out? Yeah. And it really should. Because what you think is going on there actually is. He leaves every day and locks her in the apartment. She is literally kept as his prisoner and submissive. Wow. And this is the story of the movie. The movie basically becomes this this character character study of this toxic relationship between this all-consuming, all-domineering guy, played by uh, Max Rimmel, and uh, and a, a woman who really just needs to build up the sort of strength to overcome him, to, 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 to move out past him. And it's really something. When it's actually dealing with that... It's really something. The problem is, there's about 90 minutes worth of film in that. This isn't a 90-minute film. You can imagine the sort of area this delves into then, where you start getting extraneous subplots involving Max Rommel and his father. Like, what what does this have to do with anything? This, This is adding nothing to the plot. I feel like you're just padding this now. I feel like you're taking me away from the story I actually want to be spending time with. I feel like they've locked you in the sun. I feel like I've been locked in a room and I have no way out. Exactly. So uh, Kate Shortland um, has directed this one and uh, to, to a lot of buzz. She's the last couple of years because she, she directed Somersault a few years back. Was that, a few years? that was well, uh, 14 years ago, Somersault. Sorry, I just I remember that being so much more recently. Um, but yeah, and this is really something. It's it's got atmosphere. It's got vis- it's got visual tension to it. It's got sincere gravitas. It's I say it is a character study. It is a film that doesn't so much rely on plot so much as it does just the machinations of character, the the ins and outs of Teresa Palmer's character. And to be fair, Teresa Palmer really does pull this off. She has got the acting chops to actually make this work. I was quite surprised by that. I always think of her as being a lot more cookie cutter yeah. than she. She was in Warm Bodies as well. I should remember that. She was the love interest in. Uh, what is the Nicholas Holt zombie romantic comedy? Oh, yeah, the Zomrom. The Zomrom com, yeah. yeah. I, um, I always think of her as being a bit more cookie, cookie cutter than she is. And actually, do you know what? My bad, because clearly I was wrong. And yeah. Um, yeah, if this had lost the, the extraneous elements like the, the father son uh, subplot, I'd be, I'd be a lot more fond of it than I am. But I do think quite highly of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm sold. Huh. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen. The On Screen Radio Show. And we're back. So, do you want to get a piece of film news before we go to the box office top five? Though? I've got one that I want you to tell me. Go on, what do you want me to tell you? So there's the John Wick 1 and 2 writer. Oh, yeah, Derek Colstad. 
Yeah. Yeah. But he was the co- I don't know if you remember this. John Wick, the first one, was had two directors. Right. Yeah. It had Derek Kolstad and Chad Stahelski. And the idea is that uh, Chad Stahelski then took over as the sole director of number two. Yeah. But they also they co-wrote them together, though. And uh, I think uh, in this case, he's coming back for the third time. So this John Wick 3 that we are getting sooner rather than later. Sweet. We are going to keep the same writer. There's there's no going off and getting Brett Ratner or anything. Don't no. worry. All right, cool. So, because no one wants that. No. <laughs> John Wick, the last stand. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, box office top five? Uh, yeah. Number five. Oh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, IMAX 3D. Which I, I'm running out of good things to say now because it's been it's been six weeks. Yeah, it's just it's great. Go it's, see it. Eh. Biggest screen you can. <laughs> Biggest screen, widest seat you can lounge in. Yeah. Just you know, make sure you've got all the armrests to grip a hold of because you're gonna love the hell out of it. A lot of snacks to spit out yeah. while laughing. Just take a lot of sugar, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and we are grouped. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what more is there to say? Number four. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul. There was no button we could have used. Yeah, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I was, like, waiting for it. And then... <laughs> I play the sound of a kid being slapped, and that's because yeah. he's a wimpy kid. Um, <laughs> you know. It's a boring journey. Yeah. Um, right, I didn't like uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid at all, and I am relieved to find out that I'm not alone in this, because obviously we were off last week. Um, yes. But, uh, and its its response would have really been gauged by last week's show. Um, the people who are fans of the first, uh, first three movies do seem to have taken against this fourth one I can understand why because it doesn't quite have the same quality level going for it because they've changed everyone well they've changed everyone but also they've got a new they've got the author of the books to write the screenplay for the first time so they've changed everything so they've changed almost everything and it's just not the same I think it's the same director though so it's a different film but it's got the same name and you're expected to just accept that yeah I think it's same director but different writer different cast just change everything (laughs) (laughs) don't give me half a job man <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. But no, it's just it's lowest common denominator poop jokes and really to be honest, I expect better of this series. This is a this is a series that made me emotionally invested in Diary of a Wimpy Kid dog days. Oh, I mean yeah. come on. Number three Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge, Dead Man's Chest, numerous other names. No, no, Dead Man's Chest was the second one, wasn't Dead it? Dead Man Tell No Tales. Dead Man Tell No oh, Tales, sorry. yeah. Yeah, because Dead Men do a lot in this. In this, uh, They also have Ghost Sharks. So ghost they, do, sharks, they do a lot yeah. in this. Yeah, in Ghost Shark is actually a direct-to-DVD horror movie, incidentally. <laughs> just, let's not talk about Ghost Sharks. <laughs> let's just move on. Right, so... Um, Funny story, I asked my 20-year-old neighbour earlier if he'd... Uh, because he, he said he was going to see it. He did also tell me he was a fan of the sequels. So I said, OK, what did you think of the fifth one? And he said, oh, I loved it. It was so funny. I was like, OK, but you like the sequel? That, you like the sequels? That's fine. OK, I understand that. If you're of that mindset, whether you think the sequels are any good, you're obviously going to fall for this as well. If... You're someone like me who thinks only the first one was any good. Wasn't he six, though, when the first one came out? He will have been, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. He's grown up with them. It's like the Transformers movie. He's Transformers movie, He's literally grown up with the Transformers movies. So in his mind... To him, their movies, not... Exactly! <laughs> not like you and me, where it's a cartoon series and some really well-built metal toys. Yeah. Not like now, where they're just crappy plastic. But anyway... But yeah, um, if like me, you think the first one's the only good one, this is just bilge. Okay. If you love those sequels, you're probably going to love this too. Number two. 
Baywatch. Baywatch, baby. <laughs> you love that sound. I do so much. Um, right, I don't understand the hate for Baywatch at all. I loved every minute of it. I laughed every minute of it. I think The Rock is on fine form. Is The Rock here. what he does no wrong? Yeah, exactly. The Rock. You know, he's solid as a rock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Nice. <laughs> um, I think Kelly Roback's got great comedic chops. I think John Bass, who plays Ronnie, is uh, quite, quite a find. I don't recall seeing him in anything before. Uh, Priyanka Chopra. Give me more villains like this in Hollywood films, please. Like, genuinely. I, I want more villains as gleefully menacing as this gorgeous Bollywood star is in this Hollywood film. Cool. I need more like this. Um, it would have been nice if they'd found, I don't know, anything for Alexandra Daddario to do. Okay. Um, I could have done without the plot floundering at the end of the second act and the beginning of the third. But other than that, I loved it. I loved it. I want a sequel. Apparently we might actually get a sequel, despite the fact that it's made no money in the US. Um, made a fair bit of money here. It's made a fair bit of money here, but Baywatch was always weirdly bigger in the UK than in the US. I mean, imagine that. don't have sunny beaches. <laughs> well, yeah, but also, imagine that. Baywatch was successful in the late 80s and early 90s, pre-internet, in a country that re- that has page three. Yeah. I mean, go, go figure. Number one. Wonder Woman. Well, obviously, we didn't get to review this last week. No. So, right, here's the thing I never want to say out loud. Congratulations, DC. You finally made a good one. Fairness, they've had a few shots. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, fourth time's the charm and all that. And, you know, all your boys failed, so it was only fair that you, you know, let the girl take a chance, and it turned out she was better than all your boys. She was better than your bat boy. I mean, really. What are the odds? Okay, right. Sarcasm aside, Patty Jenkins is a marvel in this movie. Ooh, no pun intended. Um, All right, Paddy Jenkins, writer-director here, terrific job. Absolutely amazing. Gal Gadot has actually learnt to act. Nice. And she's great. Chris Pine, best performance of his career. Never thought I'd say that, although that's a low bar, let's be honest. Hey. Um, Well, imagine if you took the arrogance away from Captain Kirk. Okay. Right, basically, you've got a love interest and Indiana Jones in one package, and he looks like Chris Pine. Mm. Okay, so that, that works. Uh, you've got a story that's actually interesting. You've got characters that are actually engaging. Ten minutes into this film, I turn around to John Nottingham and said, is it me, or is this actually good? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it actually is. And then at the end of the first act, genuinely, do you know what happened? And this has never happened to me in a DC film before. No sarcasm. This genuinely has never happened to me in one of these movies. I smiled. Oh, wow. I actually smiled. I enjoyed the emotional catharsis of a moment between two characters in a superhero film made by Warner Brothers and DC Comics, and I smiled. And you know what? That's how good Wonder Woman is. I need to ask, is it at all in the dark, or... (laughs) Does it rain at any point? Funnily enough, the, the, the first act takes place on, on the island of Themyscira, or Paradise Island, whatever you want to call it, and it looks terrific. It looks like like Lost, of all things. <laughs> like Lost, with the set of 300 and Thor planted upon it. The whole film, by the way, plays like the character of Thor doing the plot of Captain America, the first Avenger. All right, cool. Right, so imagine that, but Thor's a girl. Sweet. I mean, you already had the hair, to be fair, but still. If you read the comics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, but what was your question, sorry? 
Uh, oh, at night. Dark rain. Right. Once they get to the front, once they get to, you know, World War One, it does get a bit grim and a bit grim dark and a bit, you know, dimly lit, as these things always do. A bit rainy. A bit rainy. Bit no one ever brings an umbrella. You know the usual. A bit DC. But a bit DC, yeah. Uh, but good DC. It turns out there is such a thing. All right. So, yeah, you know, fair play. Um, I'll, I'll eat crow on this one. I thought Wonder Woman was going to suck. And... In fairness, three other attempts at a DC. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to be fair, if I made if I gave, if I made you dinner four times, right, and the first three <laughs> times gave you food poisoning, you wouldn't eat it a fourth time. No, well, I probably shouldn't eat it the second or the third. But <laughs> you probably shouldn't. <laughs> but you know, DC movies, different rules apply. Right? <laughs> Give me some film news, please. Um, oh, you say that when I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> I'll give you a second to load it up. I mean, um, well, Amazon Studios. Which one? Amazon Studios got a fair few. Oh, is this the uh, Monica and Linda thing? Uh, it says Linda and Monica, Linda so I'm going to say you got it wrong. Okay, Linda and Monica. <laughs> do, do, do you know the Linda and Monica in question? No, I'm just no. calling you on forgetting the names the wrong way around. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to be a nitpicker about it. Right, so Amazon Studios are developing this script. It's Linda and Monica. It is a drama about Linda Tripp and Monica Lewinsky. Oh. Right. Do you know the story of those two? I know the story of one of them. You know the story of one of them. It is the same story, but the expanded version. All oh, right. So the idea is that the reason the story of Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton came to light is because she basically told her friend, Linda Tripp, who secretly recorded her and then leaked the tapes. Um, and, of course, they then had a bit of a public falling out, and yeah. you know, Monica Lewinsky became the subject of in- 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 infamy, went away for a decade, came back svelte and sexy. But uh, as as one does, and did a TED talk to boot. So that that's that's what you get now, um, and a movie. So yeah, Amazon Studios are developing that. I don't know who they're going to cast because that one's going to be an interesting casting exercise. I mean, who who on earth could you cast to play Monica Lewinsky? Summer Blair's now too old. So pass. I don't know. I don't know. Summer Blair doesn't work. I don't know. Summer Blair like forty now. She could be Monica Lewinsky. The whole point of Michael Lewinsky was she was about 22. But uh, she was she was quite young. In fact, she might have been younger than 22. Yeah, but, you know, Saved by the Bell guys were in the 40s when they were playing 16-year-olds. <laughs> what was the line from Will and Grace? It's like the OC with 25-year-old kids and 35-year-old parents. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why that is the only line of dialogue I ever remember from Will and Grace. That thing went on for a decade. But uh, yeah, anyway. I've got something else. Go on. Uh, so if you're five years old... Or a fan of Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> We've got good news for you. We predicted sequel. this, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. We did. Cool. But yeah, the sequel officially going ahead. For, yeah, for the Boss Baby. The Boss Baby. And it's going to be like in, in things like 2020 or 2021. And you start thinking, who, who's genuinely a fan of the Boss Baby, is still going to care four years from now? Second kid, though, isn't it? So, like. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you remember that one weekend where we went to the cinema, saw that film? <laughs> coming around again, that one. Coming around. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, we've got that to look forward it's to. A bit niche, but it's an option. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I wouldn't have, just want them to get like another bit of 30 Rock casting in there alongside Alec Baldwin because Steve Buscemi alone just wasn't enough. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. So, real quick, then I want to talk about uh, Demu Tord. Um, we can't play a clip because it's a silent movie from 1921. Well, we could one, play of, one of Fritz Lang's movies. Um, I will keep this in under a minute if possible because we've still got two more reviews to get out. 
Right. Uh, German expressionist silent movie. Uh, The idea is of a woman bargaining with death to reunite her with her departed lover, her departed fiancé. And um, he tells her of three stories throughout history of of doomed relationships and, and, and lives lost as a result of them. It's something that's now been restored, and it's been put out as a 4K print, uh, having assembled pieces of footage from, from different sources. And it's the first time it's all been put together. It's out as the Masters of Cinema series at the moment. It is astonishing as a work of cinema. Um, It's something that, for a film from 1921, was way, way ahead of its time. I'd never had the pleasure of seeing it until until this day. And um, it it was way ahead of its time. Narratively, it was quite complex. I mean, astonishingly complex in 1921. But also, a film that you could merrily watch now and and not skip a beat. I mean, we're talking about a genuine, bona fide, silent movie with the dialogue actually put up in text form on the screen. And, uh, you know, like the kind that characters watch in movies, strangely. We never see them. (laughs) Um, And yet, you could watch this now and really love it. And it, it was it was astonishingly well put together. So it was so far ahead of its time. It's a reminder of the craftsmanship that Fritz Lang always had, the craftsmanship that led to... Well, the most iconic thing, obviously, was Metropolis. But it's one of the most iconic films ever. But it, it's a reminder of exactly where that all comes from. And he didn't just make the Golden Robot movie. So, okay. yeah, I loved it. I'd merrily watch it again. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, where to now, Mr. Coulson? Uh, the Shack. Take you to The Shack. It's not a basketball biopic, I'm afraid. Oh. I know, I was really hoping to. Would have been awesome. Uh, it really would have, wouldn't it? <laughs> Tadegs is <laughs> Shaq. <laughs> now, who do you get to play Shaq? I don't it, know. it has to be Shaq. I think it's really, yeah, yeah. really Shaq. He's massive. Or Kobe. Oh, uh, oh, man, who are we talking about now? It's Kobe, isn't it? Yeah, Kobe Bryant's in there. Right. Okay, so The Shack, which is... This is going to be a very quick review. So, Sam Worthington is, bizarrely, an American. Um, He's a father of uh, three. He takes his kids away to a shack that his family own on a lake. His young daughter goes missing and is never seen or heard from again. She's presumed dead. Years go by, and he receives a note one day uh, whilst his family are vacationing away, and the note says, come and visit... I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but come and visit me at the shack. By the way, I'm God. And so he goes to the shack, and God is there, and God is played by Octavia Spencer as one does, and uh, she's got Jesus with her, and she's got, I forget the other character, and basically the idea is they want to set him straight, as it were. They want to answer his questions and make him understand. Here's a clip. Mackenzie Allen Phillips. (laughs) My, my, my. Look at you. Do I know you? Not very well, but we can work on that. I understand. It's confusing. We all do. We will do this on your terms and time. How about some introductions? I'm Alusia. I have a lot of names, but that's one of my favorites. Are you saying that you're... I am. The I am. I am that I am. <laughs> Look at that. Already quoting scripture. 
So yes, that that's what it sounds like when Sam Worthington meets God. He still sounds like he's ordering a pint of milk. So, yeah, as, as one does. Um, not an awful lot to say with this one. It's basically like collateral beauty if you took out the weirdly hilarious nastiness to it, um, but then entrusted it into the less-than-capable hands of Sam Worthington, a man who still somehow has all the charisma of a vacuum cleaner, but uh, all the range of a coat hanger, all the charm of... I don't know, a sofa spring. It's just, you watch it and you just sit there and you think, I don't quite understand who this is for. And frankly, trying to work it out is angering me. And yeah, and it goes on far longer than it should. And yeah, I mean, the weird part is you come away from it all. And you do sit there and think, okay, I appreciate that they have tried. They've, they've tried to actually address things that these movies don't for a change. Right. Like, okay, God, you know, if you're the, you, you love us and all this stuff, why this? Yeah. And to be fair, the film does attempt to cobble together a theological, you know, theological rebuttal that, again, makes no sense. As a character piece, it doesn't make any sense. As a narrative film, it doesn't make any sense. And as as a work of theology, it doesn't make a whole heap of sense either. And the problem is as well that outside of Octavia Spencer, nobody's particularly any good in it. Swing and a miss, then. Swing and a miss. But, you know, from on high. <laughs> as it was. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right, let me get a final review out of the way, then. Cool. We can close out for the week. Uh, My Cousin Rachel. Yes. Which, uh, written and directed by Roger Mitchell, <clears throat> based on the book by Daphne du Maurier, uh, who obviously, of course, this has been adapted before decades ago. And, uh, well, Daphne du Maurier is what we mostly know through things like The Birds, Hitchcock's The Birds and things like that. And, and, uh, and is it, was it Mandy? I can't remember. But, uh, oh, Rebecca, Rebecca, sorry. Um, right, <clears throat> the idea here is Rachel Weiss is, wouldn't you know it, Rachel. Oh, yeah. Right, Sam Clayflin plays two parts here. He plays an adult cousin and the younger the younger cousin. Right, the idea is that younger Sam Clayflin's parents have died. He's gone to be raised by his older cousin. Okay. As Sam Clayflin has been raised as the sort of farmhand turned, you know, eventual lord of the manor, he's, you know, gone off to school. He's uh, gone off to school and educated himself and learned how to run the business side of things. And meanwhile, his, uh, his cousin has gotten ill and moved... He's, he's basically gone and moved to Italy. Okay. Where he has met... The Widow Rachel. He has married the Widow Rachel. And then, wouldn't you know it, his health has started to deteriorate even further from there. He has written letters in the meanwhile to the younger Sam Clayflin, saying, I think she's poisoning me. I'm feeling ill. It's all her. If something happens to me, it's her. Right. Right. Of course, he then dies. Uh. as, As you kind of expect. And one day, Rachel turns up... At the manor. Not so much, not for any inheritance purposes or anything like that, not, not seemingly for any kind of black widow purposes, but because, more and more to pay her respects, to see her husband's home. And uh, wouldn't you know, before long, the younger Sam Clayflin and Rachel start to have a bit of tension between them, a bit of, uh, a, bit of a romantic fizzle. But she wants no part of it. And the question soon becomes, is she playing a game? And if so, which game? Here's a clip. Perhaps tomorrow I could borrow a horse and have a look around. Such an odd feeling. Driving up to the house, he comes standing by the door to welcome me. I've done it so many times in my imagination. 
clock struck the hour as we drove up. I even seemed to recognize the sound of the bell. Right, a very talky one, uh, for the most part. <laughs> However, it does have it does have atmosphere. It does have a surprising amount of pathos to it, and a large part of the, the quality caliber of it is pl- is kind of pulled to life by Sam Claflin and Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice is kind of slumming it. We know she can do this in her sleep. Okay, um, Sam Claflin though. Actually, yeah, there's some genuine leading man chops there. Actually, I, I, I kind of bought into that. Sam Clayton is not someone outside of me before you. I never really saw him as mu- having much much charisma as a leading man. It wasn't until I saw me before you that I thought, okay, he can do it occasionally. Fair enough. Um, he's reunited here with Holiday Granger, who he starred with in the Riot Club, um, and you know, she's perfectly like. But Ian Glenn, uh, the most friend-zoned man in all of Westeros, uh, turns up in a pretty nifty supporting role. <laughs> And, yeah, it's a pretty solid film. It does have all the... It hits all the beats of the sort of requisite Daphne du Maurier story. You kind of know this whole Black Widow mystery is really going to go one way or the other, and you kind of know, at least ten minutes in advance, which way it is going to swing. I would say I wasn't familiar with the source material, FYI. Um, To be honest with you, it is very good. It suffers only in coming after, I think, Lady Macbeth. Having said that... This is more mainstream than Lady Macbeth, but not quite as good. Okay. And does not have Florence Pugh and her absolutely magnetic lead performance to, to hang on. Which is a shame, because every movie, I think, needs Florence Pugh and her magnetic performance. But, uh, yeah, so not Film of the Week. Anyway, I'm not going to give it Film of the Week. I'm going to give Film of the Week to Wilson. Oh. It, it deserves it. It absolutely deserves it. Woody Harrelson, amazing in that movie. Quality. What anything pique your interest from what we covered this week? Uh, well, Wilson, Wilson. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to see the Mummy. Uh, that's understandable because there's that. There's the brand, isn't it? Yeah, it's the brand recognition. Um, but, uh, but yeah, next week though, interesting stuff. What we got? Some interesting, some lesser. Uh, we've got by the time it gets dark. We've got Churchill with Brian Cox next week. Uh, we've got Stockholm, My Love, which is Nana Cherry's acting debut. Remember Nana Cherry? No, should I? British singer, she sang Seven Seconds now. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, there you go. Wow. She's doing some acting. Uh, we've also got uh, Rock Dog next week. Is that about Rock's French Bulldog? N- no, sadly not. It is about a it is an, about an animated dog who wants to be a rock star. I'm out. <laughs> we have A Good Day to Die. We have Slack Bay. We have Chris Evans does I Am Sam in Gifted. Okay. And we have the documentary Whitney, Could I Be Me? Huh. Three guesses who that's about. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, interesting stuff to come. So we've got those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been Kelly Stoppershaw for On Screen. I've been Van Gogh. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras. So, where should we begin? You want to begin with Starship Troopers, don't you? Yes. Okay, so this this broke uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Uh, right, they're doing... They've done a, a few Starship Troopers sequels. I think we're on 11. We're on 11. I think actually it's five. Wow. So we're actually on five. Um, hang on, there's three live actions. The Starship Troopers Invasion, which is an animated one, and then this is the fifth, yeah. 
This is the fifth one. There is also an animated series called Roughnecks somewhere in there, which is just Marines. Um, Right, so we're now getting an animated sequel. It's going to be called Traitor of Mars, and it's going to have uh, Casper Van Dien come back as Johnny Rico. Yeah, and I know what a name. But uh, and for some reason, I don't know how this is going to work. Dina Mayer is coming back as well, who played Dizzy in the first Starship Troopers. How I I don't know because anyone who's seen the first Starship Troopers knows it would be somewhat difficult for Dizzy to make any kind of a return. No spoilers. No spoilers (laughs) there, but it would be somewhat impractical for her to return <laughs> uh yes yeah, so here's the weird thing though this is this is going to be uh, a dvd movie as it were it's coming out through through sony okay. um it's getting a one night theatrical release through have you heard of fathom events no they keep doing this every six months or so fathom events take a high profile director dvd animated usually animated film and they give it a limited theatrical show, and they did it with Batman the Killing Joke last year. All right, yeah. Uh, and there's been one since as well. Now they're doing it with this. The plot of this movie, certainly, is that Johnny Rico is demoted and sent back to, to be, like, an academy instructor. All right. Uh, basically took the Clancy Brown role from the movie. Yeah. And he's sent to, like, a satellite installation on Mars, whilst the actual, uh, what do they call them? What's the marine... Mobile infantry. Yeah. Whilst the mobile infantry is off attacking the bug homeworld, putting in their final offensive. However, the bugs are smart bugs. Mm. Bugs that can think. And they launch a, a, a their own secret attack on Earth. And the only people who can stop them are Rico and his, his, uh, his inexperienced band troop. of trainees. His band of trainees. His, uh, his roughish necks. <laughs> but uh, it sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to it. But I never got to, got to finish watching Invasion. Actually, but uh, I just want to watch the first one again now. I just need them to bring Neil Patrick Harris back. I mean, you know, <laughs> I played Carol Carl Jenkins in the movie Starship Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's stick with Sony for a minute and DVD because this story fascinates me. Is this the 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 censored thing? This is the censored thing, right? Okay, y- you've y- you've you go to the states a fair bit for holidays. We have, right? Okay, so you are more than familiar with um, the airline version of movies, yeah. <laughs> right? They, those are called scrubbed movies. Yeah, so the last rule. stand, as a <laughs> yeah, I've seen some doozies. So the idea is that they remove anything that can be considered offensive material. Yeah, they scrub them for lack of a better term. These are usually done by third party companies or the distributors themselves. Uh, Sony are now taking this a step further. They are now reissuing 24 films, and you buy the version of the film that you know, yeah. and also included is what is genuinely referred to as the clean version. Wow. Yes. This is being called the Clean Version Initiative. <laughs> it's like a like a plot from a Marvel movie. <laughs> The Avengers Initiative. <laughs> but yeah, so 24 films. And I'll tell you something, I mean, Seth Rogen has already spoken out on it, because, uh, well, he, he has ties to Sony, because the whole interview thing. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But the films that they've chosen are, frankly, kind of bizarre. Just having a look at them. Are you having a look at them now? Yeah. So, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Yeah. Right. What, what do you clean out of those? <laughs> right, they, they do go from one end of the spectrum to the other. What do you clean out of Amazing Spider-Man one and two? That that one's a mystery. Other than you know breaking uh, Emma, Emma Stone's back. Oh right, yeah. did they just show you the first five minutes where he is actually just Spider-Man? You're like, wow, this could be good. <laughs> right, here's things though. Right, okay, Big Daddy, really? 
Well, okay, fair enough. They remove Rob Schneider so as not to offend children. Uh, right, Elysium. Wait, 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 wait. Captain Phillips. If they take out all the things that could upset you about that, that's just a guy in a boat. That's crap. I'm not having it. <laughs> right, okay. Um, <laughs> Elysium. That, that, that one astounds me. Because if you start removing the adult... Con- I think the idea is to make them basically PG-worthy. Right. But Elysium? Really? And then Easy A. Yeah. A comedy about sex. I was going to say, if you take all this to fair, that it's yeah. just a girl at school that no one likes. <laughs> <laughs> the clean version is, she went to school and then went home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Isn't that just A? (laughs) But, like, Talladega Nights. I mean, what? Where where was the demand for kids and fundamentalist Christians to see Talladega Nights? Uh, Step Brothers. Right, if they take out the, the licking of a dog poop... Well, this is the thing. They have to remove the language, they have to remove the violence, they have to remove nudity, sex, anything like that. If they have to remove the space for the activities, then the film's just a waste of time. <laughs> well, could you imagine, if you talk the language out of Step Brothers, you sap that... What, what's Boats and Hoes going to sound like? <laughs> what is... <laughs> is it going to be Boats and Ladies? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is, is that what it's going to be? Because they can't use the term hose. What if boats offend people? <laughs> I mean, they're editing Captain Phillips. So. <laughs> <laughs> we remove the boats so as to offend the aquaphobics. So as not to offend the aquaphobics. But White House Down, a violent R-rated action thriller. I mean, come on! The other Spider-Man films are getting... All the Spider-Mans are being done. I mean... Other than we can't expose Tobey Maguire to young children, <laughs> I can't see a reason. But yeah... That's, this is deranged. I've heard some doozies in my time, but they, Sony are now the first studio ever to, to try this. Yeah, because it's a crap idea. Of course it's a crap It's a terrible idea. This is the Greedo shooting first of home entertainment <laughs> ideas. Uh, right, okay, so new monsters have been revealed for uh, the Dark Universe. Okay. Right. One of these I didn't even know was a monster, if I'm honest. So apparently now they're going to include the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Okay, fair enough. Do that as a fantasy horror film, fine. Uh, the Creature from a Black Lagoon, that's a bit of an obvious one. And The Phantom of the Opera. So, as far wasn't he just a disfigured man? Isn't that not the whole point of The Phantom? He's a disfigured bloke, isn't he? Also, how do you top Jerry Butler? I mean, Gerard Butler, man. The most Scottish phantom anyone has ever seen. This side of the woman in black. You know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Brad, uh, Bradley Whitford. Y- you know I'm a fan. I'm yeah. a big fan of Bradley Whitford. Good old Bradders. Um, dad. Yep. Otter's dad, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, I believe, how you refer to him the last time we mentioned Bradley Whitford. Uh, Bradley Whitford is the latest name to join Godzilla, King of Monsters. Nice. Which is shaping up to have the best cast of any movie next uh, that year. I mean, Thomas Middleditch joined the other week from Silicon Valley. I'm sorry, you, that guy's name's hilarious. It is, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, the lead from Silicon Valley's joined... Yeah, he um, did. I love him. In that's that's insane. This this movie's going to be awesome. We've got a Millie Bobby Brown. It's got Kyle Chandler. It's got Avira Farmia. It's got O'Shea Jackson Jr. It's got... This is getting good. It's got Godzilla. It's got Godzilla. <laughs> it turns out Godzilla might now be overshone by, uh, uh, you know, the rest of his cast. <laughs> Speaking of Godzilla, though, they've got a director for Godzilla vs. Kong. All right. Yep. Adam Wingard, director of The Guest. Okay. 
So, interesting choice. I mean, I mean, it's, it's still going to be rubbish. Well, let's be honest. He couldn't do anything with that Blair Witch rebootquel last year. So, rebootquel. What else are you going to call it? Yeah, I, well, Piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the thing. Uh, it was so forgettable, the Blair, Blair Witch, that uh, when they did like an honest trailer for it, and they revealed that there was a time travel element, I had to look that up because I couldn't remember it. Oh, God. How bad does a movie have to be for you to forget that it involved time travel? <laughs> it's a pretty big thing. That's a that's that's the kind of thing that stands out, isn't it? <laughs> you know? oh, no, but yeah, a bad sign. Oh, I don't know. Oh, um, Silver and Black. Do you know about this? No, no. Right, this is. You remember that Tom Hardy Venom movie that Sony are doing? Yes, excited. Yeah, excited. Right? Yeah, we're in. Interesting news. Right? Okay, they're doing a second one of these sort of Spider-Man cinematic universe movies, and it's going to be a female team up. Okay, it's going to be the Silver Sable and the Black Cat. Right. Right. We've known about this one for a while. It's now got a director, Gina Price Blythewood, I believe her name is. And uh, it's apparently, this is a rumour. <clears throat> I don't believe it for the record. Okay. Because it doesn't make a whole heap of sense to me. The rumour is it's going to be the start <laughs> of a female superhero cinematic universe. Right. Which will lead to an Avengers like team up movie with all the female Spider Man characters in it together. A female Spider-Verse, basically. Okay. Right. And I don't believe it, because... So what? The Venom movie's just being made for, what? and giggles? It's still a better idea than taking all of the fun out of Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's take all the cursing and all the stuff you loved out of Step Brothers. Yeah. But, uh, uh, no. So if, there's a rumour then, female Spider-Verse... Because there's an audience for that, apparently. But at least it's given as the word Spider-Verse. No, that, that was already done by Marvel. Yeah, no, but... Yeah, they already did that story. Given us right now, then. Did you ever get to see Eight Days a Week, by the way? No. No, I know, because you were interested in it. I want to, but I haven't. I think it's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? Is it on Amazon Prime? I don't know. I th- I think so. I don't, don't quote me. I think well, it might be. Now I'm going to go look. And if now you're going to go look and, I'm going to be and hold it against me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ron Howard obviously directed that with uh, with, with uh, Brian Grazer producing did it through his whole Imagine and oh, I know what you're going to say. And when I was reading it, I got really excited. And then I wasn't excited at the end of it. Go on. Tell me. I'm, so I'm curious. Your take. I've read. And it was um, eight days a week. Mm-hmm. It's coming back to do. And I was like... We were talking about this the other day, and then it was like, not what John thinks. I was like, oh, come on. Let down. No one cares. <laughs> we're getting Pavarotti, yeah. I know. We're getting a Pavarotti documentary from Ron Howard. I'm like, oh, we're going to get the second half of the Beatles story. This is going to yeah, be awesome. Yeah, I know. Imagine a proper version of It Was 50 Years Ago Today. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great, wouldn't it? But no. No. We're getting a Pavarotti documentary. Um, it is going to have the eight days a week team working on it, though, so all the behind-the-line guys. I still don't care, though. I know. I'll be honest. I'd forgotten that Pavarotti had died, if I'm honest, <laughs> when I saw the news. I was like, oh, okay. I feel bad now. Yeah, it's like time travel. So, cinematic universes, though. Yeah. They're, they're a big thing. They are. They are. We're getting They've... a clean one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> um, so, right. Here's, here's one for you. Right, they want to make a Transformers cinematic universe. We've already got 12 movies, that's pretty much in there. <laughs> well, uh, apparently, Transformers The Last Night, which opens at the end of this month, yeah. is going to set up this universe. 
Do we get more like Dinobots movies? And There's going to be like a Dinobots movie and things like that. The first one is <laughs> going sorry, to be. I'm sorry, but I'm in. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, the first one's going to be a Bumblebee movie, though. Oh, Because that character hasn't been overexposed at all. Exactly. And. Um, just him on things. I- exactly. Stop lubricating that man. Yeah. But we now have a female lead for the Bumblebee movie. And it's, it's an unlikely one that you wouldn't quite have suspected. And it's Hayley Steinfeld. So. I, I know, right? It's it's it's, it's surprising. Haley Steinfeld of Pitch Perfect was it two, Pitch Perfect two, she joined, and uh, Edge of Seventeen, which I loved. Also, an amazing Woody Allen, uh, Woody Allen, Woody Harrelson performance in yeah. there. But yeah, she's te- she's apparently in talks to be the female lead of the Bumblebee movie. So, yay! Yeah, why is that been no? And it's coming from the the director of Kubo and the Two Strings because apparently now that he's done something good, he wants to try something bad. Well, he's, and, yeah, it's like it's like when you go for a burger after the gym. <laughs> exactly that, isn't it? Yeah. That is the exact analogy. Right, uh, Daphne Keane. Remember her in Logan? She played Laura in Logan. Then yes, I do. Then you do. You were a fan, I presume. Oh, so good, so, so good. I know. Uh, right, she's not going to reprise that role anytime soon in any of Fox's other, you know, nine ongoing X Men yeah. spin-off movies that they got going. They have said they're not against the idea of her coming back, though. Oh. But if she did, they think she could just carry a film. Now, to be fair, I'm not against that idea. Because yeah, I'd kind of like to know what happens after Logan. Yeah. And if you leave it a few years and let her, you know, grow into sort of mid-teens kind of kind of age, yeah, I'd like to watch that. And that'd be quite interesting. Because yeah. the X-23 comics are badass. All right. Yeah. They are really good. And I'd love to see those done as a movie. And, well, we've, we've got Logan now, so we've, well, we've yeah. seen that done. If they can do the same as what they did with, like, Death of an Old Man. Yeah. The, oh, there's, there's some good stuff to, yeah. to be done in there. Uh, right. Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Oblivion. Remember that one? Remember that movie? Is that the... I, I was just going to spoil it then, but it's the Tom Cruise... <laughs> Tom Cruise one, yeah. Sci-fi one. Everything's and silver. Everything's silver yeah. and glass, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Joseph Kaczynski, who directed that, he also directed Tron Legacy, um, is apparently the top choice to direct Top Gun 2, which has now officially got a title. It's Top Gun Maverick. That's a bit disappointing, really, isn't it? Yeah. I was hoping for Top Guns. <laughs> part de. Yeah. Why is everyone going part de a second? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think just just plural or uh, Top Gun Retaliation. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Co- <laughs> colon our title. Yeah. Colon our title. Or Two Tops, Two Guns. Nice. I mean, you know, that, that, that one works for me. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I mean, the soundtrack's out for Baby Driver. I don't have the details to hand at the moment. Let's see. Oh, we've said about the Boss Baby, haven't we? We have. Which, uh, will you be... Have you seen the first Boss Baby yet? Uh, no, because I'm not five. I am a fan of Alec Baldwin. <laughs> You're not five, but you are a fan. <laughs> yeah. So you meet 50% of the criteria. It's not good enough. It's <laughs> not, is it? <laughs> uh, Theo James, apparently. People keep hiring him. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. It's because his first name's kind of cool. Yeah, presumably. He has scored the lead role in David Rosenthal's thriller How It Ends, which is about a father trying to get home to his pregnant wife when the apocalypse breaks out and she's around the country. So basically it's the plot of due dates yeah. with an apocalypse. All right. So it's 
going to be crap. Yeah, and it's for Netflix. So, yeah. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's going to do a World War II adventure called The Lost Airman. I'm always in with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah? So. Well, this is the, uh, the, uh, a shot-down pilot who has to uh, team up with the French... True story, as well. Teams up with the French Resistance to uh, evade capture from the Germans and escape. And, yeah, this could be interesting. He's going to produce it as well, by the way. All right, in. So let's see what else we got. Oh, uh, Juan Cole Serra, who directed uh, Nonstop. I avoided this because I didn't know how to do the name. So. <laughs> it's Juan. <Yeah. laughs> Cole Serra. Uh, he's going to direct Waco, a movie about, wouldn't you know it, Waco. <laughs> do, do you know the Waco story? Not really. This was uh, a, a siege in 1993 between the FBI and, uh, you know those those cult compounds that they have in the US? Yes. You, you know the kind? They're, they're almost, they're a very American construction, those, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the fenced off compounds White where buildings. they've usually got like, yeah, usually got like a cult leader and everyone's got a, you know, a big assault rifle. Yeah, well, yeah. what, what else would you have? Exactly. Um, yeah, well, in this case, it's the, the FBI, it was a siege and a lot of people died, and it's regarded as something of a... No, I do know about this, actually. Yeah, you'll, you'll know. It's, it's a bit of a stain on the FBI track record. Yeah. But uh, there is a TV series being made at the, right now about this as well, and the TV series stars Michael Shannon as the FBI negotiator and Taylor Kitsch as the cult leader. Oh, Taylor Kitsch. I know. But you know what? He was perfectly tolerable in True Detective Season 2. Yeah, but he did that... Um... Dude on Mars film. He was fine in that. It was Battleship that really sunk. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, I did. Let's <laughs> see what else we got. I think, um, I think we've covered everything. I think that's about it. I mean, The Willoughbys, that, that book uh, by Lois Lowry, that's getting turned into an animated film. Uh, Maya Rudolph, Terry Crews, Martin Short, and Jane Krakowski are going to be the voice cast. Uh, I'm a fan of anything when you hire Terry Crews. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, and if you're hiring Terry Crews just for his voice, goddamn, you're heroic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wow. John likes Terry. <laughs> John likes Terry, and Terry likes John. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's some interesting stuff going on. But uh, well, I mean, that kind of draws it to a close then. For a yeah, week. no, we've covered covered quite a lot there. Well, in which case, here it is: your moment of cage. Celebrity Films. Eddie? Yeah. I know all about it. Yeah, you know all about what? About that girl. Six years ago. I know what you did to her. Who is this? You murdered her. You and your friends. I don't know what the f you're talking about. You killed her on film. And now you're f. You're all f. 